Welcome to Building Astropad. I'm Matt Runge, co-founder and CEO at Astropad, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes at our company where we build software and hardware products for creative people. So if you're a creator interested in starting a business or creating your next big project, join us and let's learn together. Hi, Matt here, and I'm with my co-founder today, Giovanni Donelli. Welcome, Giovanni. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so first time on our podcast here, so this should be fun. And so today we brought Giovanni on to talk about how we started Astropad. So we're going to dust off the cobwebs here, and we're going to go back to 2013 is technically when the company was founded, and 2015 is when we released. It was, oh, it was January or February 2015. 2015, somewhere, somewhere February, there. February. Was yeah. it February? I, I mm-hmm. always confuse those two because we released, I want to say Astrobed Studio in January and it was a January. So That's right. Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to go back and we're going to talk about how we started, how we bootstrapped our way here, how we got to the launch and I don't know, little tidbits of things we've learned along the way. You know, hopefully, hopefully it's helpful to somebody else. Either way, it'll be fun for us to go through, talk about the early days again. So I'm going to start with how we met. So we, well, I'm from Illinois. I'm from the Chicago area. You're from Northern Italy. <laughs> so yeah. So how do, how do we meet, right? And well, that was many years ago at Apple. We were Apple interns. This was 2006. And we were working on different teams. I was working on the QuickTime video team, which would become relevant for, for us in the future. And you were actually working on the parental controls, right? Yeah, that summer I interned in platform experience, which at the time was the team responsible for the finder to dock system preferences. Actually, that summer I worked on system preferences. Oh, system preferences. Okay. So I remember somewhere around that time too, you worked on um, parental controls, which was a bunch of network stuff, which That's also right. later, yeah, and later also. become relevant. <laughs> yeah. And then also, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. And yeah. So we were in for the interns, they would set up corporate housing. Like you had the option of like, Hey, we've got these apartments set up. You can stay in them. And honestly, it was a pretty good deal compared to the, you know, if, if you tried to get a place on your own. So a lot of, a lot of interns went for it. And this was a much smaller intern class. Cause remember this is like 2006. This is before the iP- iPhone. This was like iPod era when the iPod was a big deal. And so Apple was much, much smaller company. I think there was maybe like 300 interns. I remember you interned twice, Matt. Was that your yes. first? Was that your that first? Was, we met the first first time. So I interned the first time on QuickTime Video, QuickTime Video Pipeline. And then I wanted to get exposed to more kind of like front-end UI, kind of more user experience stuff. And so the next summer I worked on iPhoto, which... I mean, even that name now is dated. It's, you know, Photos app is basically what it was. That's right. Worked on on the next summer. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were in the same apartment together. And I think we were, how old were you? 22, 21, 22? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So I was, I think I was 24. Yeah. For me, it was like the first time actually getting a job and then moving to California for five months. It was a big deal. I remember being a really big deal. Oh, it was a huge deal for me too. It was a really, really big deal. It was, yeah. Because I'd had like other jobs and things before that, but nothing, nothing like that. And I'd been a long time Apple fan and, and been on the Mac platform, you know, been developing for the Mac for a long time, you know, since the early nineties fiddled around with the Mac. Mm-hmm. So it was a big deal to go to Apple and see, like, right. all right, it was a huge how does deal. this place work? You know, to go to, you know, infinite loop. And check the place out and see people walking around. See, you know, you'd see Steve Jobs walking around. You'd see Johnny Ive walking around. You'd see, you know, they pass you in the hallway and you'd be like, whoa, <laughs> this is this is pretty wild. Yeah, such a different time than now because they were sort of the underdog back then in the yes. day. They were yes. really like the underdog. Yes, very much so. Very, very much so. Different, a different energy and just much smaller too. Probably less corporate than it is now. I don't, I mean... Again, I don't know a ton about how it is today, but because obviously we haven't been there in a long time, which you you went on to work there full time after for a number of years. Yeah, that's right. After the internship, 
Well, I think they actually offered both of us a job. But... Yeah, they did. They did. I turned it down, though. I They offered me a job. on. Well, actually, I talked to both the QuickTime and iPhoto team, but I decided to go off on my own. I knew even at that point that I wanted to pursue a startup life. So I ended up joining a startup. Yeah. And for me instead, you know, growing up in Italy and, you know, graduating from computer science, then it was really probably the best job offer I could have probably hoped for in so many ways. And that kind of started a journey where, you know, I eventually relocated to California and, and where we Apple for four years. Yeah. And it was a huge part of my career development. Yeah, absolutely. Huge. You know, it made a lot of sense too, moving from Italy to, to, you know, Apple, Apple could help with that. And you've been in San Francisco ever since. That's right. Yeah. So for me, I was, I was a student at the University of Illinois. And so I joined a University of Illinois startup that was spun out from some graduate work that was done there. The company's Pattern Insight. That was a good, good experience too. I mean, I learned a, learned a ton. I love the story that you have about the way the iPhoto team worked and how that helped you determine that that wasn't really a good place to be for postgraduate. You remember that, Matt? Yeah. You talking about the like kind of more political? More so. They were trying, instead of trying to build a great product, they were really trying to build a product that Steve Jobs would yes. pick up upon. Yes, yes, yes. So iPhoto at one point was a really key a really key app that Steve Jobs paid very close attention to. And he would meet with the manager and he'd go over it and he would send emails and like they would present it to the board of directors. And like, it was a really, really big deal. When I was there, the iPhone was announced. It was earlier, earlier in the year that the iPhone was announced. This was over the summer. And the apps team was feeling not very relevant because all of a sudden the iPhone was the apple of Steve Jobs' eye. And so they were you know, kind of trying to figure out ways to how, how can we, how can we get his attention again? And I, I just, I just wasn't, I just wasn't into that. And it was like, you know, we should be focused on building the best product. That's going to be the way to get, you know, attention or let's, let's build something for the iPhone or let's, you know, I just, it wasn't, it wasn't really the environment. I felt like I wanted to be in QuickTime was very different because that was very low level down in the stack. So that had basically no, you know, Steve Jobs didn't pay any attention to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that was very yeah. low level, low level work. But you know, when I when you told me the story later, I, I remember thinking about also my own experience and how things were, you know, driven more by upper management rather than you know just creating creating the the best product. And I thought that your insight was really wise. Yeah, you know, another person that we lived with at the apartment, our friend Bob, who I went to school with, I, don't, I was always ask him, like, hey, did I miss out not joining, not joining full time? And he was always like, no, you, you were around for the funnest part. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I just, you know, and, and at that time, the, the startup life appealed to me. So, so we, went, we, went in different, we went in different directions for a while. I did a many bunch of years, stuff. many years. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember how we got reconnected? That's right. Yeah, I think so. Seven years had passed. I'd left Apple at that time. And I think you went through two startups, I want to say, and it started your own firm doing consulting. Yep. And I believe I responded to one of your tweets. We were on Twitter. Yeah. I think yep, it, was, it was through Twitter. Yeah, it was through Twitter. Twitter keeps giving. Yeah, it was yeah, through yeah. Twitter. And that was really the first contact after seven years since living together and we hadn't really talked for that long yeah no we hadn't we hadn't so it was quite quite incredible and i think what what happened afterwards is that you were fully booked with contracting work and you were looking for help yep yeah well and i and i knew from our time you know previously seven years before that we had similar sensibilities and we both had a background in building shareware apps on the mac early on and like you know so i knew there was a connection there I knew you were a really talented developer. And so when I needed help, I was had this kind of niche working on email clients. And I had this really tough project. And I was like, this is way more than I can handle on my own. And then when you popped up on Twitter, I'm like, oh, I wonder what Giovanni's doing. Cause like I need somebody, I need the help of somebody that really knows what they're doing on this, you know? And that that started. Then you were like, sure. It was like, all right. And then we worked together for a while, I don't know, maybe six months. Yep. And we're like, this is pretty great. Like, this, and I agreed. I, you know, I was like, this is way better than working by myself. Yeah, let's let's make it official here. And we set up a new company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I thought new- actually that process was really smart because if you remember at the beginning, 
I was working for you. So officially, yes, yes. I was working for your company called Central, Central Atomics. Atomics. <laughs> yes. That's mm -hmm. right. And Central Atomics, you know, was, was your creation. And I think we, we had this conversation where if we, if we were to, you know, set up a company together, then it would be ideal to move in together into a new entity. Yeah, fresh slate, new house, new place. And I think in retrospect, that was a really good foundation to start because I've crossed paths with a number of founders in which like sort of the, the first cornerstone of the company was some sort of uneven layout of founders' equity and responsibilities. And I think later on, especially after some, some really good success, then it becomes a problem of who's responsible for what and you know, why don't I have the same stake as somebody else? Yeah, no, certainly, you know, if it's uneven, you know, we just split it 50-50. We're like, all right, we're going in this together. Because otherwise, yeah, I mean, how we viewed it is like most of the work was in front of us. That's right. So, you know, fast forward 10 years in the future and you're going to be like, okay, all of a sudden somebody has much bigger percentage as you're saying, you know, that's going to cause, you know, maybe somebody says, oh, well, I brought the clients, so I should get a bigger percentage. But if you're forward looking, that's that's going to be a problem, because at a certain point that client you brought is not going to matter anymore, and it's going to be based on the work you've done together, and then it's going to be a major issue. So yeah, I I've, I've mentioned that too to other founders before they're getting started. I'm like, you know, make sure everybody feels good about the arrangement going in, because as the pressure amps up and everything else, it's only going to get worse. You know, it's only going to the pressure is only going to increase. So yep. Yeah. You know, another start. interesting thing is, you know, how do you pick a co-founder, really? How like how do oh, we yeah. know how do we know that we were a good fit for for this adventure? And provided you only know after some time. Yeah, uh, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. There's, no, never there's know. no easy yeah. answer. But I do remember like a few anecdotes where you know, I, I think I, we were still considering the possibility of working together and that determined you know, my conviction that this was a, it was worth it going yeah. forward with, with you. Well, I'm, I'm curious what jumped out to you. I can think of a couple of things, but I'm sure yours will be different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember, I think we, we had kind of played with the idea that we would be setting up a company together. And at the time, we were both consulting as independent contractors, essentially, in some ways. And I, not only I was working with you, but I also picked up another contract. And through this other work with this other company, I realized that a lot of the enjoyment that I was getting from my, from my work was, was coming from working together as a team, as opposed to the nature of the work itself. So that was really revealing in, in telling me that we had something really good in, in our dynamics and in the way we were working together. And then I think it was key to, you know, one thing that we didn't say was we had been working remotely from day one. You were. Oh, in, yeah, we didn't in, say that. I was in Minneapolis. You were in San Francisco. And you flew out here for WWDC, which is this yearly conference that Apple puts up in, in the city. And I think like meeting in person was also like an important moment for us to kind of uh, compare our, our plans for the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember we you know, we discussed our, our level of freedom, we, what we wanted to do. You had a young family at the time that was just starting. And, and I remember like we, you know, we discussed pretty clearly what was the, the boundaries of this business relationship that we were going to have. Like we determined, you know, we really need to hit this amount of money every month in order for, for each one of us to feel comfortable in this setup. Yeah, and then I have a, another personal anecdote, but I, but I want to hear from you. Oh, okay. What, what was I'm your... I'm curious what this other anecdote it was. Well, I mean, the one thing was, was something I already mentioned that I knew our, both of us had had backgrounds doing shareware utilities and really enjoyed it. And so we like, shipped. Okay, yeah, we shipped. And, you know, we both enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And kind of had that shared experience, you know, not together. We did it separately in each of our own little, little companies back in the day. But yeah, that was, that told me that, yeah, we're probably going to have similar sensibilities and working together too. There was like a new balance too, when we'd work on, on projects versus like working on my own, like everything just got so much better. Like the output of everything we were doing then compared to me working by myself Things like, we always joke about this still, like 
in terms of like making estimates for projects. <laughs> I'd say two weeks, you say four weeks. The answer it ends up being is three weeks, right? It was just a good balance there. It was also a good balance with, in terms of doing the coding, like you were much better at like the front end development and the product design and the UI design than I was. Mm -hmm. And so I could kind of take care of the, the back end stuff and you take care of the front end. And then also in terms of just working on projects too, you tended to pick up on a lot of details that I would miss, like important details. And, you know, that otherwise would just go by if I was working by myself. So there was, a, you know, we had different talents that, that balanced each other. Yeah. And I think by working together, we realized that the sum was greater than each individual part. Like we, we could multiply our, our skills by, by joining forces. And that was a great feeling. One thing also that I think is more in the non-tangible aspects of our relationship is that I think the values of the way we live our lives we're, we're also aligned. Mm, sure. And the anecdote that I wanted to, to tell you, and I don't know if you remember this, <laughs> okay. but we were, yeah, we were having lunch that, you know, in that trip, the first trip that you took out here to San Francisco, we were having lunch and, you know, the server that was giving us the meal dropped their, their sandwich on the, on the table when they were serving it to you. And, and I remember yeah, I don't, that. I don't remember this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I do remember that. Because I remember in that moment, well, you picked it up and you just went ahead and ate it and knocked, you didn't complain. The server was already super apologetic and, you know, you really didn't pick, you know, fight back on the server. And that told me something, you know, I think the way you, I think you see people relate to people in the service industry is very telling of their personality and their values. And, you know, this, this is just a little anecdote, right? But, yeah. but, but I was, <laughs> you know, I was, I was really pleased. To see, you know, the respect that you had for people around you and, and the way you approach the community that you live in. And that counted a lot for in that moment for me to to align myself with with somebody with whom I also thought I had respect for and, and I saw the way they were living their life and, and I respected that. Yeah, no, that's, I don't remember. Do you remember where we were? Maybe I can, uh, I'm trying to remember. I no, it was a random restaurant somewhere in San Francisco. Oh, okay. You know, it wasn't, yeah. we were getting a sandwich and it, it really wasn't a big deal. It just, no, it just I stuck didn't. with me, you know, it just stuck with no, me. No, I didn't. But that goes to the, the bigger point of we had shared values too, going into the company and what did we want to achieve, you know, where like neither of us was, say like super cutthroat, right? Right. Like, oh, right. we're going to just run people over and we don't care. We're going to mm -hmm. burn people out, do what it takes to, you know, that just wasn't our, that just wasn't our attitude. Yeah. And, you know, maybe for me coming from, you know, corporate Apple, you know, in an environment where I think there's, there's a lot of entitlement, you know, you, you work at a big firm with a big name. I think it was very refreshing to see that level of care for the world around you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks. That's just <laughs> nice anecdote that I have never heard before. Yeah, there you go. You get to hear it on the podcast for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> well, so so we set up this company. It was Astra HQ. That's right. And yeah, we what, was, what was the vision? I don't think we what? had a vision. No, we did. We did. We did. We kind of did. I mean, exactly where it was going to go. We didn't know. We we're like, okay, we're going to do consulting. This is what's bringing in the money. That's right. But we like making stuff, making our own stuff, and we'd love to build a product. Both of us wanted, really wanted to build a product. And actually, even prior to right. Astra HQ, we had both done products on, my, on our own. You had done a couple different ones. That's right. Nothing really took off. but Yeah, yeah I had done one that was like, did okay. It was like an email search thing. It was, it was okay. So we really wanted to go down that path. We just didn't know how we didn't know what the idea was because i see we, we didn't love consulting like it just didn't fire us up in the morning yeah it was we had a strong i think actually sense of direction that we wanted to be a product company we did lack a vision for what the product would be absolutely yeah. and so we were just we would toss around ideas a lot i do remember that between yep. consulting we toss around ideas a lot and just keep we were kept fishing mm -hmm. just kept fishing for an idea like that's okay, right at some point, we're going to come up with a product idea and let's do it, but we just don't know what it is mm -hmm. until one day there was an idea. Do you want to talk about how the mm -hmm. 
yeah. how the idea came to be that would later become Astropad, the product. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Before we go down that path, let me just say for, you know, for people that are also trying to start their own venture, that I think finding a situation where you're financially stable and consulting was that for us, it provided some sort of safety net in which we could allow for failure to happen without compromising our own you know, emotional stability, family stability. And I think something was great for, for that purpose where we, we could devote a number of days to you know, keeping the lights on. And then we could devote a few days to exploring new ideas. And so for Astroped, well, for Astro HQ, the company that would yeah, now, now the you know now the company is Astropad. That's right. <laughs> the company we changed the company name to Astropad, but <laughs> so it gets a little confusing. But yeah, 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 because there's the product and the yeah. So yeah, the spark of the idea behind what then became later known as the product Astropad was a really serendipitous sort of discovery. I was at the end of the day. I I generally go for for a run or, or workout. And in that specific instance, when I was returning back to my apartment, I ran across a billboard advertising the new Microsoft Surface, in which you could see Photoshop running on a, on a touchscreen device and a stylus associated with it. It was sort of the first generation of, or maybe the second generation of, of Surfaces that had come out. And the idea there, well, I remember vividly that was, uh, I was like, I really need to show this to Matt. I think there might be something here that we need to explore. Picture. And I took a picture. That's right. Yeah, I took a picture on my phone. And we started brainstorming right away. You know, could we do the same in the combination of using a Mac and an iPad? Could we have a touch experience for the Mac, for drawing on the Mac with an iPad? And that that really was it. That was the what fired us up, that that vision. I'll say the other thing too is we had both used mm. Wacom tablets. That's right. And so we intuitively understood why it was such a big deal to be able to draw directly on the screen because mm -hmm. we knew Wacom had these Cintiq products, but I had never used one. I don't know if you had used one at the time because they were so expensive, mm -hmm. so out of reach that like they might as well not exist, right? Instead, everybody had these black slate Intuos style drawing tablets. And I know you had one. Yep. That you tried to use for drawing on your Mac. I didn't have one at the time, but I'd used one when I was a teenager and I was playing around with Photoshop and other other programs on my Mac and I and I bought a cheap Wacom and I tried using it. And I just remember how frustrating the experience was to have it disconnected from you know where I'm drawing and where it's appearing on the screen in two different places and how yep. difficult that was. That's right. So we we understood like right away. We're like, oh yeah, we have experience with this. Like, what's out there sucks. What's better is like way expensive. Okay, can we can we use an iPad and like make this accessible to a ton more people? Yeah, that really. I mean, so right away, I think we were both. You know, that stuck out as like, okay, this is this is a good idea. We mm -hmm. should we we, sh we should explore this. And I think the other thing that fired us up was that you know we were both sort of amateur artists in 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 different areas. Like I enjoy yep. sketching digitally and, and you enjoy photography a lot. So we had a sense of, you know, what would be really useful for illustrators and for photographers, which ended up being our main target audience for, for Astroped. So it was a, it was a very good combination in which we both had some field experience and we were very interested in, in the space. Yeah, very much so. And if you go back on our blog too and look at our first, I think it was our first ever blog post, mm -hmm. talks about really basically creation over consumption because there was something else that got us excited about, about it. Because at that time, the iPad was very different and it wasn't being used really to create anything. Everybody was using it to watch movies, watch videos, play you know, games with crazy in-app purchases gambling simulators, you know, just yeah, like not, right. not, not a lot of great stuff that we were super excited about. And I know one thing that always appealed to me about the Mac was how it was advertised as something for, for creatives and people were creating stuff with it. And so we're like, Whoa, this is really cool. Like we enjoyed going against the grain, like, okay, we're going to build like professional class, like creative tool 
on the iPad. That's like so out there. Like no, nobody else is really doing this at the time. Cause this was 2015 or no, this is even before that. This was 2014, 2013. Yeah. 2013, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So obviously things have changed now with the iPad has, has picked up a lot now in, in different mm-hmm. creative industries, but it was, it was different then. And so it was like, Oh, this is cool. Like this is, <laughs> you know, this is exciting to be able to make yeah. a tool like this. Yeah, that's a good lesson too. I would say the the fact that when you feel like you have such a novel idea that nobody's doing anything around it, you you know there's some, and you're really generally excited about, then you know that's an endeavor where you, it's worth to put all your energy behind. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I would say too is, with that is you know whatever project you pick, it's going to be a long haul. Mm. It's going to be a lot of work. So you better pick something that you're interested and excited about. You know, you might have other ideas and I know we did have other ideas that could be a good business opportunity, but you know what, if you're not excited about the space, don't go into it because you need that excitement to carry you through. That's what we found at least, you know, like, and this was an area that was exciting for us compared to say, like building on Facebook at the time was was a big deal, you know, Mm. using the Facebook APIs. Well, that for me personally at the (laughs) time, not something I'd, excited about right like Mm -hmm, could mm -hmm. have thought of amazing business opportunity in there and just been like you know what i just i just can't stay excited about this and so a couple years in that wear off right versus like we're still like the the segment we're in still this this many years later that's right very important very important yeah so what happened after the idea what do you remember matt after the sort of idea generation because it was very different i think what we had in mind at the beginning Oh man, I don't remember what we had in mind at the beginning then. I remember starting to prototype stuff. Mm. Do you remember before that? Was there other? I just remember this like iPad UI, like we basically would draw an iPad on the screen, on the Mac screen oh, yes, all yes, together. Yes, yes, yes. And I remember looking at it and feeling like, man, this is so obnoxious. It was very clunky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you had a, a virtual iPad you'd move around on your Mac. That's right. And that would select what would sent to your your actual ipad yeah yeah yep yeah we realized right away i think that it was going to be very technically challenging like i think we realized right away that the it was a massive project with a really high chance of failure just for the for the reason that we didn't know whether the technology was ready yes and i think all along the way there was a sense of anxiety at least i remember this sense of anxiety of well can we even pull this off yes yes and it was probably only i want to say 6 to 8 months in that that anxiety of okay can we pull it off actually lifted that yes we could indeed like uh, overcome the technical challenges and have a good product but for the longest time i think we were in the dark with with the understanding that what we were facing could have possibly not been solved by anybody. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but that certainly fired me up too. <laughs> I liked the challenge. I was like, oh, this is, this is great. I want to see if we, can, if we can figure this out. Definitely. Yeah. It was, but I would say it was a double-edged sword because I think we, if we hadn't had consulting on the side, yeah, yeah, that yeah. pressure of absolutely making it work, I think it would have been too much. Yeah. Because if we didn't figure out how to do it, at least it was a fun technical challenge we tried to we we pursued and we learned a lot but the issue with it like well what was this technical challenge it was mirroring the ipad or mirroring the mac screen onto the ipad with really low latency mm-hmm. and high color and shape accuracy and you know just really high fidelity so we each had our own pet interests in this <laughs> you were always pushing very much for super accurate colors for like really pixel perfect. You know, That's you're right. like, if you're doing art on this, this needs to be pixel perfect. This needs to look amazing. And for me, I was always pushing in a different direction. I was saying, if I'm going to draw on this, the latency has got to be crazy low. Otherwise it's going to drive me nuts. That's right. So, And the only way at the time to connect the iPad to the Mac was over Wi-Fi. That was the only way that Apple allowed communication. So we're like, okay, we have to do this over Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And so is the iPad fast enough to do this? Is Does Wi-Fi have enough bandwidth to do this? Can Wi-Fi do this fast enough? We didn't know. And I remember prototyping some, some simple stuff out of the box where 
we would capture the desktop and I would like save it as an image and try to send it over the network to the iPad and uncompress the image and then display it and like, okay, let's see if this works. And it was awful. <laughs> it just didn't work at all. It was so slow. It was unusable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing that we, we didn't mention here is there wasn't really any input device that was a stylus officially from Apple at the time. There, there were a number That's of right. third-party companies that were making styluses for the iPad. And in retrospect, you know, we didn't really do our homework and verify the accuracy of the styluses. We, we kind of assumed they were good enough. And it was sort of quite late that we realized that, you know, there was a vast room for improvement on the stylus input. And for professional artists, it would be very hard to pick up a third-party stylus and, and replace their high-end Cintiq or high-end graphic tablet. Yeah, the styluses were too inaccurate and too much latency. It was like over 100 milliseconds of, of latency on those styluses. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it wasn't quite, you know, and we were betting, we were hoping that in the future, somebody would figure out how to make a good stylus. <laughs> Thankfully, that did come to pass. <laughs> Apple made one, and that, that was a huge benefit for us. Yeah, in retrospect, I think there were a number of trajectories in technology, one being Microsoft pushing it really hard. So there was kind of the sense that, you know, the stylus input would have eventually landed on iPad. Did we know for sure? I think we took a huge bet that that was going to it was going to happen. We got I would say lucky in that regard. Yeah, we got we got very lucky. We were in the right place at the right time when mm-hmm. that stylus showed up. And again, this was our side project. You know, this was so we could we could afford to take time on it. And it took us a long time to build the tech to make it work. It's the tech that's liquid, the first version of liquid that powers both Astropad and Luna today. And it was a combination of a network, a uh, low-level network protocol, new network protocol that Giovanni made for mm-hmm. Wi-Fi, which it was, like I mentioned earlier, he had a lot of previous networking experience. And then after multiple ways of trying to save the screen and send it over the network and it just not working, I started making a custom video codec for for the Liquid Stack as well, which from my QuickTime days, working on the video pipeline there, I knew enough to be dangerous. I knew enough to know where to look. I mean, I wasn't like, oh yeah, I know how to make a video codec, but I was like, hmm, I know the pieces involved. I know what books to look at. I kind of, you know, let's try this. And so... We were so scared of each other's responsibilities. Yeah. Like I was really scared of, of the video coded technology. Yeah. Like side of things. And I remember one conversation that I had with you. It was like, hey, like, are you sure you want me to take, like you were asking me, are you sure you wanted me to take all the responsibility for the code? Because this is the fun part of the project. Yeah. I remember that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you're stuck in network land. Like, come on, man. That can't be fun. Like, don't you want to work on that? You know? And you were like, no, thank God you're doing doing that. <laughs> yes. It was like, really? Oh, okay. Because I love, well, and it also helped too. I'd taken like multimedia classes in college and stuff and multimedia processing and other things. That was after my internship on QuickTime because I was like, oh, this stuff is actually pretty cool. Audio, video, image processing. I want to learn a little more about it. And I was no expert by any means, but I knew enough of the terminology and how, how things worked a little bit to know where to dig. That's right. Yeah, and my previous network experience made me also very suited for writing a new networking stack with very yep. little latency. You, you knew what to do. Yep. You had this wasn't your first rodeo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we put it together and had many, many prototypes, so many different prototypes we went through. I remember early on, it was like black and white mm-hmm. and it being a really big deal when we had color, you know, massive. You know, it'd probably be crazy if we looked at the first version now and how slow it would be compared to what we have now but we were always trying to get it faster and faster. That was a, that was a huge deal for us. Yeah, when do you think we, we actually realized that we would ship and we should really like invest significantly? Because till that time, we were, I think we were working like maybe one or two days a week, weekends, nights, a lot of nights, yep. I remember. A lot of nights, yeah. A lot of, I, I was spending a lot of nights reading technical books. I remember that. Like just like run into a problem and, grab whatever book and just pouring over it just night after night to try to figure out how to, how to make it work. Yeah. Key moment. I was thinking to ask you this too. I'm curious if your answer will be different, but a key moment was 
It was a WWDC. I was out in California and we had a prototype and we took that prototype through a friend you had knew some, some folks at Pixar. And so he went to Pixar and we showed an animator there, a really senior animator. <laughs> That's um, right. Yeah. I have the same recollection of that the moment. Prototype. Being and, you know, so this was a super pro, you know, somebody at, at Pixar, he was later at the film he was working on that he was the director of was later nominated for, was it an Emmy? Yeah, short, right? It was a short. Yeah. 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 Now he has his own production, animation production firm. Yeah. And he started playing around with the prototype Astropad we had. And he was like, I remember he looked at us and he was like, guys, this is going to be huge. <laughs> and I was like, what? Really? And in that, it was that, that moment where like, okay, we are really on to something here. Yeah, finding that super pro artist, which actually I didn't know him directly. It was through, again, the power of like your, your network of the people that you know. And yeah, it was really a key moment in, in, in seeing somebody use it and, and sort of validate to some degree because, you, you know, you never know until you really like put it out. But there was, I remember driving back from, from Emeryville, which is where Pixar is, and we were discussing how we were going to kind of reduce the workload of consulting to devote more time to product design and, and shipping Astropen. Yeah, we had two clients at the time, two clients that were taking up all, and it was during that that we decided to effectively fire one of our clients because we're like, we need that time. We need to- That's right. We That's need right. to invest that time into Astropad because we really, you know, now that we've gotten this confirmation, we really feel like we need to go after it. Yeah. Uh, and then how long was it until we launched? That was the, probably the summer. It was June. So another eight months. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We still had a lot to do, a lot to get everything wrapped up. The rest of it's kind of a blur for me. I don't know. Do you remember any other key moments from that time leading up to, obviously, as we get closer to the launch, yes, but during yeah. the- I think we knew more or less what we needed to do. It was, yeah, it was a lot of work, just polishing up the details. We always, you know, we discovered through the hard way that the, you know, going from a prototype to a finished product, and especially the last 10% of a project takes a, an incredible amount of effort. Mm-hmm. And then I remember, you know, a conversation where you were like, we really need to to ship this because we, we can't keep doing this anymore. It's like we we just our life had been had been gone into a, a hole. Like we we were basically maintaining basic social interaction with <laughs> family members <laughs> to sustain. Uh, yes. And and I remember you telling me we just can't keep doing this. We really need to like push it out and, and finish this thing and move on. Because it's just we can't take it in like this life is not sustainable right now. Yeah, because it had been it was almost a year and a half from when we first started the project to when we actually shipped. So this was quite a quite a while we had been mm-hmm. we had been doing this and grinding away at it. And it, again, it was nights and weekends a lot too. As we got closer, of course, I mentioned we fired that client. We had more time during the week. We were willing to take that that hit in our consulting business. But yeah, for a lot of it, it was it was burning that midnight oil. Yeah, and I do remember getting closer where we're like, yeah, we need to ship. I do remember too, like, I don't remember features in particular, but I remember talking about all sorts of ridiculous features we felt we needed to have, which we didn't. <laughs> it was a tremendous phase of creativity. I remember that, that we were really like exploring yeah, a lot all of, sorts uh, of ideas, tons yeah, of which ideas. later on, I think in the company, we benefited greatly, but they didn't see the light at the, you no. know, on launch. No. And we made the right call and not Mm -hmm. pursuing all that stuff. Like we really didn't, didn't need it all. And, and, you know, as we got closer to needing to launch, because we pretty much like picked a day. We're like, all right, we need to, let's aim for this. Let's get it out by this day. And so we started to, you know, cut things. Yep. Uh, And that that was, it was a good move. Yeah, to just prioritize. And I remember very close to the launch where you were so dissatisfied with the product at one point that you wanted to kill like one of the main features, which <laughs> was the was the Stargate, which we still have today. The selection of the screen. Well, and that was that, you know, I, I forgot about that. That's actually happened in other projects since now too, where we'll get to this moment where we're like, is this all terrible? Do we need to burn this all to the ground? Like, do we need to start over? Like, you know, it's usually a totally irrational thought, 
but it was, you know, did we, did we design this the right way? And yeah, I remember that. I don't remember what I had suggested instead, but. Yeah, but I, I remember that I think still now it's a good memory to have that or like good experience to have that sometimes you get so caught up in it that you lose any rational judgment because you've been too much into, you know, you, you've had this tunnel vision on a project for too long. And that's really when a team comes in or a, co- a co-founder, I think that, that right. was the, the moment Absolutely. where I was like, hey, Matt, wake up. Like, yeah, this, you got to yeah. ship this as is. This yeah. is actually really good. Yep. yep. And it's really in those moments that you realize that, you know, how important it is, I think, to have a good co-founder or like a good, good sounding board, a good team, yeah, to bounce ideas off and, 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 and have a, a rational judgment on. Yeah, absolutely. You saved us there because I, I made no sense. Like we had something really great and here I was wanting to like throw it all away. It's, it's, I'm, I'm picturing like, like think of like an artist that did all these like beautiful drawings and they're like, no, these are all terrible and starts ripping them up. You're like, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> Which I'm sure has happened. It's yeah. happened. Like in, in it's like, those are great. Yeah. Why are you in doing art that? Happened. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was the same. And then, yeah, you talked me out of it. And again, I don't even remember what I was proposing. I've forgotten about that. Yeah. It was a, uh, so then we're, we're getting, we're getting towards the launch and we're trying to get everything together. And I switched into marketing mode. I want to say probably about a month, month and a half before the launch. And you went on to finish the project. Like the, the core engine was in there and working, but a lot of the fit and finish and polish still needed to be done. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And it was key for you to really zone out of engineering and really focus on marketing which had been one of your interests on the side mm-hmm. yeah and i give you credit for having realized how much you know creating a company is not only creating a great product you got to start from a great product but then all the operation that comes around having a great product of selling it the way you communicate to the customer is really fundamental yeah, it's it's fifty percent of the battle, at least you know. Just like otherwise, it's like you're a you're a tree that falls in the forest with nobody around. You know, it's like nobody hears it. Does it does it matter? Did it really happen? Right? Like if you build this amazing thing and nobody knows about it. The other thing I remember being very conscious about and spending a lot of time on was I knew what we were doing was very new and novel, and nobody had done this really, where you were streaming the the Mac screen. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody had done it successfully, at least. And it wasn't like a traditional iPad app. So I know it was going to be weird and it was going to be hard potentially to understand at first. So we spent a lot of time going over like the product messaging or just even the, I I remember rewriting so many times the headline on the site that like describes what it does. Just trying to figure out the, the, the original ones were crap. I can't even remember what they were, but I remember they weren't very good. And eventually we got something better, better, better that explained like what it was. And I just remember spending a bunch of time just in a text file, just pounding out different sentences. I mean, there wasn't a lot of copy on that first site, but just pounding out sentences. Then we got connected to a designer who helped us, who did an amazing job. Eddie Topsley, who did did a did an amazing job for us through through a mutual friend. We we found him. And through that same person, we also found a creative agency, Humdinger that was willing to take a chance on us and help us make a launch video. Cause I remember you Giovanni were really pushing for a, for a launch video, which was really smart that we needed a video to explain the concept to everybody. And so we had basically very, very little budget for it. And we, you know, I'd scrape some, some stuff together from our consulting and thankfully Humdinger was like, okay, this is a really cool product. This is really cool. We like you guys. Like we're, We'll we'll do it for massively lower than our our usual usual amount. We're we're willing to to help you guys out and put together an amazing video for us. That was that was key. So, you know, spending that time to figure out how to explain it, having a great looking site and a great video, on top of you know this novel product that was all super important in getting it out there. Yeah, in retrospect, I think also the validation that we, the energy that we we saw when we would show this product to other people was really exhilarating as a as a confirmation that there are people out there that are willing to have their compensation just to work and associate their names with with our product. I think that was that was an extremely good sign of of validation for us, and that's really what kept us going. I think in some really late days and late nights. Yep. 
Yeah, because we were we were burned out. We were burned out. Yeah, I remember for the final launch, you came here to Minneapolis. We were at my house. I remember when you booked the tickets. I think you booked them in reverse. <laughs> From that's like right. flying, flying from Minneapolis that. to San Francisco, and, San Francisco and like that's a really good anecdote. I was so burned out that I couldn't book the. I basically booked the wrong flight with opposite directions. Like the, yeah, you, like you couldn't room. you couldn't think straight. So yeah, this is painting a picture of our mental yeah. mental health at the time too, with <laughs> me wanting to burn everything down and you're booking a flight the wrong way, and yeah, it was it was it was pretty pretty crazy and. Yeah, I remember too. The other thing that always struck me about the launch was this was in February. And here in Minneapolis, it gets crazy cold. <laughs> like, and I remember when you were here, it was like way below zero, like Fahrenheit, way below. Zero. Well, I guess even once you get that low, it doesn't even matter between Celsius and Fahrenheit as much. It was crazy cold. And I remember like always asking, you know, and like, I remember you, you basically didn't even feel the cold, you know? And I was like, asking you later like oh weren't you cold and you're like what like really it yeah we were cold? so driven yeah you, you like didn't even pay attention you know and i thought it was gonna be a big deal because you'd been in san francisco for so long you're coming here to like negative 20 degrees and you're just like whatever like it was cold i didn't notice <laughs> yeah we were really driven <laughs> so then then we launch what do you remember from from the launch we were, I remember that we had no idea how things were going. Were they going well? Were they going bad? We had just no idea. Like later on, we were like talking to other, to other founders. We realized that the amount of coverage that we received was exponentially higher than a regular launch. But at the time, we weren't making a ton of money. So the, the, the financial sort of rewards that we seek was good, but it wasn't like spectacularly good. Yeah, especially given the amount of press coverage we ended up getting. But again, at the time, we had no idea. We had no idea. We didn't know it was uh, good. We're like, oh, was that good? And then later, people would ask us, oh, what PR agency did you use? And we're like, uh, it was just us. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it was just new. It was novel. And again, we had a good video, a good website. And so it, the press jumped on it. Yeah, I remember we, remember we also hired my friend Marta actually to help out, which was a friend of mine living in London, which I had connected recently and, and she had just was transitioning with between jobs and she agreed to just help us out with the marketing campaign and emailing people and yep she was also like a very interesting character because i remember she reached out left and right to to very unconventional in very unconventional ways to what i think we would have done as as technology people ourselves yep that's I think right the channel that, about she, that. that she reached out where you know areas where we didn't we didn't look my lesson there was, you know, we, we started seeing the benefit of integrating in the team. I think people with very, very different backgrounds and skills. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. And the, and the value of good marketing and, and to value, value that as well. Value everything else that goes to our product. You know, there's a lot more than just building it. That's right. Yeah. I remember we had crazy traffic. We had crazy website traffic. And I think, gosh, I don't even know if still today that was the highest single day web traffic ever. I think it might be still today that we've ever had. We may have beaten it now. I can't, I can't, I can't remember offhand, but it even, even if we have, I mean, that stood for five years. That's right. Where we had just insane amounts of traffic and really the, the video like effectively went viral. Like it was just getting shared so much. It was way beyond anything we, you know, we had dreamed of. It was really novel. I think the the feeling that we had is, you know, nobody had really seen anything like this. And so it was picking up. Yeah, it was really exciting, but I think we were too tired to really appreciate. Yeah. We and were really burned out. We were really burned out and we were really scared of the entire thing failing, of it just falling flat. Because you know? <laughs> again, like you said earlier, we didn't know, you know, despite the interest from other people we had gotten along the way, we still ultimately didn't know, is anybody going to buy this? That's right. Is anybody interested in this? Are people just being nice to us and saying like, yes, mm-hmm. it's really cool to our face, but they actually don't like it. We didn't know. And you don't really know until you get out there and you try to sell it. And yeah, we're going to put this out there and it's a super cool technology demo, but that's about it. I remember being very afraid of that, that it was just a technology demo. 
Yeah, we didn't know. It was so much we didn't know. I feel like I remember just this feeling of had no idea where, where things were heading. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then I remember just this this really dark phase that followed the launch. But I don't know if you want to go into that. Yeah, we should, <laughs> we should do that on another episode, post-launch, because <laughs> there was a whole nother, you know, we had, all of a sudden, a lot of people knew our names. A lot of people had downloaded and tried it. But again, like we said, that didn't necessarily translate into amazing financial success. And so there was a there was a second second chapter after after launch that we should talk about too. Yeah, yeah. But before we wrap things up, one other thing we should mention is some book recommendations. I know we mm. wanted to talk about because there were some books that at the time were very much on our mind and were influential in what we were doing. Yeah, what book recommendation do you have? Yeah, I remember at the time. I think. Maybe that year, the year of prayer, a zero to one by Peter Thiel that came out. And there was a, a lot of fresh content on how to see business, especially in the technology sector, and how to like see like a small company in comparison to you know the global economy. It was really inspiring. It felt like that was a really important read. And the other book was The Startup of You by Reed Huffman. That also like emphasized so much the entrepreneurial nature that is within each one of us. And it's also was very inspiring in, in you know, starting our own venture. What about for you, Matt? What was the interesting reads that you went through that year? Yeah, yeah. So, well, the Zero to One book was interesting. I remember the contrarian nature of it really spoke to us at the time too. I know it really spoke to you, but for me too, a little bit with, because we felt like we were doing something really novel, something new that went against the grain. So that that, uh, that appealed to us. The one that was really on my mind, though, was a book called Console Wars. And it talks about in the 90s when Sega Genesis came out and Sega really went toe-to-toe against Nintendo. And it profiles the people working at the company at the time. A major figure in that book is Tom Kalinske, who ran Sega of USA. That's right. And just how they managed to go from basically nothing to being a real competitor for a while to Nintendo. And so much of it was about like the brilliant marketing that they did and like just the out of the box ways that they got people to learn about Sega and the way they positioned it against Nintendo was just super interesting. And that I think attributed a lot to getting me fired up about really wanting to put a lot of time into marketing. Nice, nice. Yeah, I remember you, there, was a, there was a quote from that book that you would always refer to when you wanted to get some energy. What was it? Oh, I don't remember. Now I got to look it up. I do it's remember there's a quote, but I don't remember. Something like about being hungry. There was something, it was something Tom Kalinske said, but I yes. don't remember what yes. it was. Oh, man. Well, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to post it in the show notes after. I'm okay, sounds good. It. Sounds good. But yeah, that was very inspiring to me at the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that about sums it up, I think. Anything else you can think of? Or the, otherwise, we'll have to continue this and continue telling the tale post-launch in another episode. Yeah, we should talk about postpartum depression Yeah. in the next launch, That's yes. in the next uh, episode. Yes, let's yeah. do that. Let's do that. All right. Well, thanks, Giovanni. All right. Thank you, Matt. That was great talking to you. 